One of my all-time favorite stories is told of two friends who for many years enjoyed a variety of outdoor activities together. Among these activities were hunting and fishing and camping and hiking. And while on a particular hiking trip uh, in Alaska, they were startled by a giant Kodiak bear which stood on its hind legs at about seven feet tall. And at the sight of this flesh-eating beast, one of the men immediately sat down and began to take off his, his bulky hiking boots as quickly as possible, started rummaging through his backpack and found a pair of running shoes, started to put them on. And his buddy's watching all this, looking at the bear, looking at him do this. He goes, hey, man, we're never going to outrun that bear. And his friend keeps lacing up his shoes, said, hey, man, I'm not worried about the bear. All I got to do is outrun you. <laughs> you know, and I thought about how, you know, we all handle worry differently, don't we? You know, and uh, today in our ongoing study of Luke's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, we come to a passage that confronts us with the sin of worry. And if you'll turn with me in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, Jesus makes us aware of two things, the problem of worry and also the power that's needed to live above it in our daily life. Luke chapter 12, we'll start with verse 22, where we find these words. And he said to his disciples... For this reason I say to you, don't be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? And do not seek that which you shall eat and what you shall drink. And don't keep worrying, for these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But you seek for His kingdom, and these things shall be added. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, I've titled this message, No Worries, in honor of a friend of ours who's from Australia. And whenever she was faced with a difficult circumstance, she'd simply say, No worries, Chuck. It's all good. God's in control, eh? You know, and each time I would think of our many conversations, I can't help but smile at the simple truth of our statement. No worries. God's in control. Right, Chuck? And I just kind of look and I say, yeah, you know what? That's right. That is true. And, uh, you know, when you stop and think about that, is that true of your life? Is your life filled with no worries because God's in control? Or is it filled with many worries because you're not quite sure about the control of God? You know, in this uh, context of our study, Jesus has warned us so far to beware on guard of the sin of hypocrisy, which is the sin of pretending we're something that we're not. God knows our heart. He knows all about us. He knows the secret things of our life. He knows the things that take place behind closed doors. He sees it all. 
And so the great accountability always is never forget the fact that everything is open and laid bare to him, God, whom we have to give an account of our life. And so, therefore, it's not a matter of trying to put on a facade or this mask for other people. It's to be right before God so that what people see is the same thing God sees. What you see is what you get. And if what you see isn't right before God, then we need to all be willing to repent, confess, and agree with God that what you know, is being seen isn't right. And we need to turn from sin and turn to God and trust in Him. He warns us about hypocrisy. He went on to warn us or be on guard against the sin of greed. Because he said that, you know what, life, even if you have an abundance of possessions, that's not what life consists of. You know, don't get hung up on material things because that's not what it's all about. And in this particular context in our passage today, he warns us about the sin of worry. The sin of worry, which is not trusting God. Sin is falling short of God's standard. And God's standard for his people is that we trust him implicitly in every area of life. Not some areas that we think he can handle and other areas that we think we should be in control of. It's in every area. And so for those of us who don't trust God in every area of life, we need to recognize and understand God calls worry sin. And it's a word that is out of our vocabulary and our culture. But unfortunately, it's a word that is very clear in Scripture. And we need to recognize sin is not an option for God's people. And worry is a sin. Therefore, worry is not an option for God's people. And that's the context of our passage. You know, the, the, the rich farmer, and if you'll notice, he says, and for this reason, tying together what we had just learned previously about the rich, rich farmer who hoarded up everything, you know, the rich farmer worried because he had too much and he was wanting to hang on to it as long as he could. So he built barns and he hoarded it all up for the purpose of using it for his own benefit and his own pleasure, never giving consideration to what God's will was for the use of those resources, never giving consideration to how he could use those resources to help others who are in need so that they could be a tool or testimony of God's graciousness to a world that's hurting and in need. He never gave anything consideration other than this is all about me. You know, and, and I'll tell you, the, the, the root or the foundation of every sin is selfishness. That's why James said, isn't the source of quarrels among you, brothers, your own selfishness, your own selfish ambition? Isn't that the reason we're always fighting with one another? Because I want my way, you had your way last time, it's time for me to get my way this time. And what about me? Where do I fit into all this? I've been given all my life to you and to you and to you, and now it's my time. And as soon as we start to buy into that lie, sin is crouching at our door. And God says, you better master it because its desire is to consume you, to destroy you. And so as we look at this, you know, greed can never get enough. And worry is afraid it may not have enough. And with all that in mind, we're going to take a look at, first of all, at the problem of worry that's laid out for us in verses 22 through 30. But specifically, you'll notice he said to his disciples, it was for this reason, connecting the last uh, thought, the last message, what he had just said to the one that he's about to introduce. It's for this reason. Well, what reason was it? He said, I say to you, don't worry or be anxious for your life as to what you'll eat, your body as to what you'll put on. He's saying, you know what, with this in mind, remember what he had just said. That you know what, life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. So therefore, why worry about possessions and things? Because you'll never find what you're looking for in an abundance of possessions. 
You know, everywhere we're looking for the quality of life. We're looking for purpose and fulfillment and meaning. And he's saying if you're going after things to do that, it'll never happen. But you'll notice he'll say as we get to the conclusion, but seek first God. Seek a relationship with God, your creator. Seek him first above everything else and everything else in life will fall into place. But as we look at this, he says, for this reason, and the other reason is that you'll notice that all the guy's possessions in the world did not delay the inevitable day that was appointed for him to die. This rich man was confronted and said, you fool, today your soul is required of you, and what good and benefit are all these barns that you built and all the possessions that you've amassed and have accumulated and stored up for yourself? You know what? It's not going to do you any good now. And the logical argument was we need to be storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven, eternal things, not temporal things, things that God say have value versus the things the world tries to convince us is of such great value. You know, in this section, which, what jumps out immediately is the command of Jesus. It's very clear, and he says, you know what? Do not be anxious. That's a command. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. The King James says, hey, take no thought or don't even give it a thought. Don't even give it a thought to worrying about anything. It says, it, literally, it means stop worrying because God knows sin nature has a, a, a tendency to worry. God knows that we want to worry. We want to be in control. We want to know that everything's going to turn out exactly like we want. And God says, you know what? Don't be anxious. Don't try to be in control, Chuck, because guess what? You're not in control. I'm in control. And so let me fly the plane. Stop trying to take over when there's a little turbulence. It's like you're sitting in the back, you're reading a magazine, a little turbulence comes, you go up to the cockpit and say, you know what, I trusted you, but now it's a bumpy ride. Would you get out of the cockpit and let me fly this thing? I don't know how to fly, but I'm just thinking at least it gives me a sense that I'm doing something. You know, wow, look at that. Here comes the ground, you know, and, and, and that's the way that we are. You know, the word translated anxious in this text uh, means to be torn apart. Think about it, to be torn apart. It means that right now, if you are worried about something, even though you're here, you're not here. Your mind is somewhere else. It's the same word that Jesus used of Martha when he said to her, you know what, Martha, you're so distracted and bothered and worried about so many things. You know, she was in this room over here preparing the meal for everybody, but you know what, that's where her body was, but her heart was in the other room and she was mad at her sister because her sister was doing what she really wanted to do, which was to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to the truths that were coming out of his mouth to spend time with him, but she was torn between, but I need to be doing this because somebody's got to cook, but I really want to be over here because that's really where, you know, where I should be and I don't know what to do and so because I'm doing this, I'm mad at the person who's doing what I want to be doing and Jesus said, you know what, you're so bothered. You're so anxious, you're so worried, you're so distracted by so many things. You know people like that. It doesn't matter where they are, wherever they are, they're really not because they're somewhere else thinking about all the other things in the world that are going on and somehow or another it's, it's escaping their control. They can't get their arms around everything. And they get so bothered and so distracted and so worried. Our English word worry comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle. And you know, and I was so convicted about that because there's been many times throughout the last several months particularly where I felt like a stranglehold was on my life. 
you know, I got another CT scan tomorrow. And, 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 and if I go there and think about that or dwell on that, and, you know, what's this test going to show? And, what, you, know, what's, you know, what's the next phone call going to be? And, and, and what's the next surgery? And what's the next treatment? Or what are we going to hear next? And, you know, and as I, as I dwell on those things, it's almost like my life is being strangled. And, and, and I can't even breathe. And I, and I can't enjoy the moment. Today is the day the Lord has made. Chuck, rejoice and be glad in today. And, 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 I, and it's a constant battle and we're to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And the thing that frees me up is when I get back to God's word and go, wait a minute, I'm not in control of anything. God, you are in control of everything. And so I am going to enjoy today. See, when people say, how are you doing today? Here's my attitude. I got up this morning. And you know what? Everything after that's a bonus. It just is. I, you know, it's a great day. Because today is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in today. I don't know. Maybe you can relate. You know, worry's a problem because it distracts us from who God is and His promises and His purpose for our life. You know, worry strangles the very life that Jesus said He came to bring us. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. A quality of life that knows with peace in our heart that God is in control of everything. And I want you to enjoy that life. And when you worry, it strangles you of the very life that I've come to give you. The very life that I died on the cross, that you would be forgiven of sin. The resurrection to newness of life. You who have been born again have been born again and the Spirit of God lives within you. And He testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God and all the promises of God and and the joy and the peace that comes with that the contentment the satisfaction that knowing that you know what we are in god's hands those of us who have turned from sin and turned to god and trusted in christ and they are good hands to be in but i'll tell you this it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living god for those who reject jesus christ and his death and his resurrection as a provision for your sins you need to worry but not god's people we have nothing to worry about Nothing to worry about whatsoever. You know, the disciples were worried because Jesus said, I'm going into Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. And he said, don't worry about that. You know what? You know, I'm going away, but if I go away, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I'm preparing a place for you, I wouldn't tell you that if it's not true. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again for you so that where I am, you will always be. Don't worry about it. Don't even think about it. Don't give it another thought. You know, worry is a problem because it gives us a false view of life. You know, we look at this and and, and so many people think that life is all about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. So much of our day is spent surrounded by what's for for breakfast, what's for lunch. And, And once we eat lunch, it's what's for dinner. I mean, so much of my life was that way. And now that I can't eat anything, my whole life has changed. It's freed up so much of my time. You know, and in fact, I mean, we used to have conversations about, so you think you're going to eat in heaven? I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, it's like, because, you know, eating's fun. But, you know, there's a difference between eating to live and living to eat. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, we all got to eat. You know what? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God knows we need to eat in order to survive because these bodies are deteriorating and we have to eat and we have to have rest and all exercise and all of that. And we all are fighting as hard as we can to keep the inevitable from happening. 
That's why you see people with multiple facelifts and they can't even smile anymore. You know, and it's like, it's all wrapped around their head. And, you know, and, and, and if you go behind them, their nose is back there and there's a new one on the front. You know, and you just see this battle to try to hang on to this life. And God says, get a clue. You're losing. You're losing that battle. Look in the shower. Look at all the hair that falls all over the place. Look at your skin. Look at your face. You know, why do you think it takes you? Why do you think most of you are locked out? It's taking you longer and longer to get ready in the morning. You're going to have to get up earlier and earlier. It's like, man, I'm going to have to start getting up at 5 to be here by 8.45. Look at me. But, you know, you do the best you can. But, but don't get so hung up on this because this is going, man. It's going quick. And so, you know, and, and it, it robs us, you know. It tries to tell us that this is what life is all about. That, you know, worry's good. That worry convinces us, you know, that life is made up of what we eat, what we wear. We get so concerned about the means that we totally forget about the end. And the end is to glorify God. Our whole purpose in being this side of heaven is to glorify God in our earthly bodies. Are you glorifying him? I'll tell you this. If you're a worry wart, you don't glorify God. You get everybody around you who thinks that you know something about God that they don't know. They watch you worry and they think, man, you know what? If you worry and you say you know God, there's not much comfort in that to me. But if you know what? You're going through trials and tribulations and the troubles of this life and you've got the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, I'll guarantee you this, people will come to you because they want to know the God who can hold you up in times of such trouble. See, you know, worry blinds us to the world around us and the way that God cares for His creation. See, that's why Jesus tells us to look at the following considerations. You know, the word consider is a great word in Scripture. The word means to look at something for the purpose of coming to a conclusion or taking action. The Bible says we're to look at the the ant, for example, and to consider her ways and to see how she works hard and stores up things and, you know, and and is mighty in task. And, you know, it's like everything, everything God has created has purpose and meaning. Everything. It says, consider the ant so that you too will take certain action. Even more so, he says, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Take a good, hard look at his life. At his claims. At his death. At his resurrection. At his promises. For the purpose of coming to a conclusion yourself about who you say Jesus is. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. He's our great example. He's our leader. He's the one we follow. Consider how he endured hostility against himself so that you and I don't grow weary and lose heart in the battles of everyday life as we too are persecuted for his name's sake. See, the point is, here in Luke, Jesus tells us those who worry are to stop it and consider. First of all, the consideration is, he says, look at the birds. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, in verse 24, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. I like that. He said, you know what? Stop and look at, uh, look at the birds. Look at the ravens or their little brother, the crows. You know, that, you know, homework assignment. You know, this week, look at a bird. 
And when you start to worry about life, look at a bird and see how God takes care of a bird. And his point and his argument is very simple. Arguing from the least to the greatest, he says this. Yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than the birds. It's not a question. It's a statement. Do you realize how much more valuable you are than a bird? Those unclean, insolent, squawking scavengers know nothing of the work ethic a farmer does, yet God still feeds them. How much more valuable you are than them. I ran across a poem that I thought kind of says it all. It said, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And what an indictment that is against us. The actual truth is even more compelling because in the full sense, birds don't have a heavenly father as you and I do. We, people, are created in the image and likeness of God. We, people, God loved and set his son to die on the cross for our sins, raised him, again, raised him from the dead so that you and I could be resurrected to the newness of life. We, people, human beings, the highest order of creation where God says on that day what he created was very good. Human beings will outlast everything else in God's creation. The newest of stars in the universe pale in comparison to the longevity of the human soul and spirit which will live forever either in the presence of God or absence from His presence in hell if we reject Christ as our Savior. See, God says that, you know what? Think about it. If I take care of birds, Chuck, don't you think I'll take care of you? Don't you think He'll take care of you as well? You know, he who did not withhold his only son for us, do you think he'll withhold our every need? See, if you think about how amazing that is, it just makes you want to repent and ask for forgiveness that we would worry about anything. And that's what I did. God, forgive me. You know, I worry about stuff that I shouldn't even be thinking twice about because you're in control. What am I doing? And if that's not enough, he says, you know what, consider the the flowers of the lilies, how they grow and how they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. The queen of Sheba heard about Solomon and and made a long journey, 1,400 miles on a camel to find out if everything she heard about Solomon was true. And when she saw the majesty of his wealth and his resources and his riches, she said, man, I heard about you. But it's even more amazing than I heard. And so this dude had some good threads. I mean, but God says, even Solomon in all of his splendor didn't dress like the lilies of the field, the flowers that dot Israel all over the place. And so instead of stopping and smelling the roses or flowers this week, why don't you stop and look at one? I went out to the backyard as I was reading this. And I thought, man, I'm looking at this. And, and I stood, stood aside and, and I watched a hummingbird come there in our backyard. And I just watched him go to each one of the flowers. And if you look up close at a flower, besides the fact that I'm allergic to them and they make me sneeze, that's the downside of that. But the upside is, is that they're pretty amazing. I mean, when was the last time you actually looked at a flower? And, and what God was saying is, you know, look how amazing and beautiful and wonderful these things are. And yet, you know what? As every guy knows, and the reason we don't buy our, our, our wise flowers is because they're temporary, they're fading, and we want to get them something that's, that's, you know, that, that's enduring, that's permanent, that's practical. So we buy them plastic stuff. 
and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, we just, you know, we just don't get it, you know, but, but that's okay because they're, they're here and then they're gone. And, you know, and, and his point that he uses is this, you know, think about it. if God so raised the grass in a field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? And here's the indictment, O men of little faith. Let's get one thing clear once and forever. And since I know that will never happen, you'll hear me probably say this many times. But that is this. Worry does not mean you care more than the person who doesn't worry. Jot that down. Because there is this misnomer in our universe that somehow if you worry, you care more than the person who trusts God. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. It is not true. So stop laying a guilt trip on people who aren't running around, you know, biting their fingernails like you because they have a peace that God is in control and you don't and it bothers you that they're obedient and you're not. So you're trying to bring them to the dark side with you. You're trying to drag them down the hole. Don't let it happen. You know, the reality of it is the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. And he said, man, you know what? And, and I wonder, as Jesus was, was preaching this message, teaching these truths, if maybe he had a flower in his hand. And he handed it and said, pass it around and take a good hard look at it. Take a good look at this flower. How much more do you think God cares about you? See, you know, worry is, if you look at verse 25, the conclusion is simple. Worry is absolutely useless. And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Now, here's the important thing of studying Scripture in context. Remember what we had just learned. Did it add an extra minute of the man's life who was storing up things for the future? Did it add any longevity to that man's life who said, I'm going to store up this stuff, and then I'm going to take it easy, then I'm going to live on easy street, then I'm going to retire, then I'm going to blah, blah, blah. You know what? It added not one second to his life. Why? Because it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. God knows every day that is ordained for us to live before yet we were even conceived in our mother's womb, before yet we lived one day, we can take comfort in the fact that God knows the appointed day of our departure from this life for God's people into his presence. So therefore, why worry about it? Worry is completely useless. It's a colossal waste of time and energy. Worry cannot change anything except the quality of one's life and that for the worst. And I'll tell you what was amazing to me as I read through this, and I had never picked up on this until this particular study, this passage. But notice what Jesus said. He said that, and which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Then he said this, and if then you cannot do even this very little thing. Now, man, isn't that the truth? It is a very little thing for God to extend one's life. Isn't that the truth? Think about all the times Jesus raised people from the dead. The widow of Nain, her son, hey, get up. Arise. Tabitha, arise. Lazarus, come forth. Death is not a huge obstacle for God. Jesus destroyed death and the power of death once and for all in his resurrection and showed and demonstrated that you and I have nothing to fear because death has lost its sting for God's people. 
Death is not the end of our existence. It is how God ushers us into the fullness of His presence and what He has in store for us in the future. And He's saying, if you can't even add a single minute to your life, why are you so worried about everything else? Because that's pretty much the biggest thing that any of us can do, and to God it's a little thing. So why are you worried about your job? Why are you worried about your finances? Why are you worried about your health? Why are you worried about how this person, what they think of you, what they don't think of you? I don't know what you're worried about, but all I'm here to tell you from the Word of God is this. Stop it. Just stop it. It's a sin before God. Agree with God that you're wrong and stop worrying and start trusting Him. You know, worrying about test results won't change a thing. Worrying about turning 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 won't change a thing. Worrying about what your life will be like, will you have enough money in your retirement account and this and that and the other thing won't change a thing. And it doesn't mean we neglect our responsibilities. The balance of Scripture is, hey, you know what? Even though I don't know when my appointed time is and I know worrying about extending my life here on earth can't change a thing about when that time is, God says, but you know what, Chuck? Go to a doctor. Get some godly counsel. You need surgery, you need to do this treatment, you need to change your diet, you need to do this, you need to do that. You need to do all of those things because I don't know when that appointed time is. And so until then, we have to be responsible in how we conduct ourselves. You know, he says, don't worry about your job, but if you're unemployed, don't sit at home and think that, oh, God will provide one for you. Get up and go and find one, and God will provide for you. The balance is is that God has given human beings reason and responsibility, and He's given us the ability to work and to provide for ourselves, knowing ultimately that God is the one who provides everything, but it doesn't eliminate human responsibility and accountability. All he's saying is don't worry about the results. Take action where action needs to be taken, but at the end of all of it, be at peace knowing God's in control. Why? Because it doesn't change anything. You fill in your own blank. I don't know. What are you worried about? You know what? All I'm here to tell you is this. It won't change a thing. Worry strangles the joy out of life. It makes things worse. You shouldn't worry about what you cannot change. And this is probably what Noel Coward meant when he sent a postcard to his friend David Niven, who's the actor. Niven is offstage a very intense striver for perfection and thus always worried that he's not doing a good enough job. The card that he sent a postcard uh, showed on the front of the postcard a picture of Venus de Milo. And this is what the message read. You see, David, what will happen to you if you keep on biting your nails? And for those of you who have no clue who Venus de Milo is, then, you know, it's just not as funny to you, is it? But the reality of it is, is that worry robs us of the promises of God. How many times over and over again does God tell us that, hey, you know what? Your heavenly Father, if you then being evil, Matthew seven eleven, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? One last illustration before we move to the next point, and that is that you know, when uh, Abraham Lincoln was on his way to Washington to be inaugurated, he spent some time in New York with Horace Greeley, and he told him an antidote that was meant to answer the question that everybody was asking of him, and that was this, are we really going to have a civil war? 
you know, in his circuit riding days, Lincoln and his companions uh, were riding to the next session of court, had to cross many swollen rivers, very difficult journeys, uh, but the formidable Fox River was still ahead of them. And they said to one another, if these streams have given us so much trouble, how are we going to get over the Fox River when we get to it? said, when darkness fell, they stopped for the night at a log tavern where they fell in with a Methodist presiding elder of the district who rode through the country in all kinds of weather, and he knew all about the Fox River. So they gathered around them and said, hey, you know what? These streams have been so bad. How, how do you get across the Fox River? And he looked at them, and they all gathered around for this tidbit of information. He looked at them and said this, you know, the Fox River can be very difficult to get across, but there's one thing I've learned about the Fox River. I never cross it till I get to it. And then I went, great, thanks. <laughs> you know, just like some of you are saying to me today, great, thanks. But it's the truth. Hey, you know what? Well, you know, that's what the saying. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You know, and, and, and as I have this next test and whatever the results are, you know what? We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And you know why? Because we know that God's holding up the bridge. So we'll just deal with it when it comes. But until then, I'm going to enjoy today. You know, and I hope that you will too. See, worry projects the worst. You know, the Fox River becomes the mighty Mississippi at flood stage, and the worrier is always thinking about it's going to be that way when we get to it. You know, and, when, and, and, the, and the thing that Jesus continually said is don't be anxious for tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, you don't need to add on top of the trouble of today the anticipated difficulties of tomorrow. When you take with the anticipated difficulties of tomorrow and you add them to the troubles you already have today, it is a burden that will destroy you. That's why Jesus says, cast all your troubles upon me and I'll care for you. We're not meant by God to hold up those burdens. He wants to hold them up for us. See, worry is characteristic of an unbeliever, not the Christian. We're to live life to the fullest, knowing and trusting that God is able to take care of us in every area. What's the power that God says we need to live above worry? Look at verse 31. See the stark contrast. But, but in contrast to unbelievers who feel like they have to worry about everything because the burden is all on them. It's all on them. And rightly so, because they don't know our God as we do. They don't know he wants to hold up their burdens. They don't know that he loved them and sent his son to die for them. It's our responsibility, we who have been trusted with the mystery of the knowledge of God, it's our responsibility to share with them that God wants to hold up their burdens, that God wants to take away the greatest burden that they have, and that is their need for forgiveness by God. See, he says, hey, look, but in contrast to an unbelieving world that doesn't believe in God and has nowhere else to turn but themselves, you people have me to turn to. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, and all of these other things will be added unto you. The power to live above worry is seeking God. What is the result of it? Hey, you know what? We can expect when we seek him and his righteousness, we'll expect him to meet our every need. He says all these things will be taken care of. I'll, I'll take care of you. I got your back. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five says this. I have been young and now I'm old, and yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Isn't that really what it takes? A lifetime of seeing God's faithfulness in order for us to truly trust him. I've been young and when I was young, you know what? I worried about everything and I thought it was all in my hands. 
as I grew older and realized that, you know what, I'm not in control of anything. I have to turn everything over to God. As I grew older, I saw one thing that became very clear. You know what, all throughout the course of my life, I've never had a beg because God always took care of me. And when you can't take care of yourself as God takes care of you, God will still take care of you. When it's impossible to go out and work, God will take care of you. What's impossible to do the things that we need to do to, to save for tomorrow and it's not possible, when we get to where we're going, God will be there to take care of us on that end as well. See, he'll meet our every need. And what's the reason that we shouldn't fear in verse 32? Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. It's a word of endearment. It means that, you know what, he is our shepherd. One of the things that I love to share as I share my testimony today and in light of all the things that I've gone through for, from a cancer standpoint is that, you know, it's one thing to know psalms, you know, and, and you go and you hear, you go to a memorial service or a funeral, and inevitably somebody reads, Ah, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. And they read it, and, you know, it's like, oh, but there's a difference between knowing the psalm and knowing that the shepherd knows you. See, it isn't even good that you know him, it's better that he knows you and me. And it's a wonderful truth. The reason that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil is because, God, you're with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, you've prepared a table before my enemies in your presence. You know, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And you know what? And I know I'll dwell in your house forever. So what am I afraid of? You're my shepherd. You protect me. You guide me. You restore me. Jesus said in John 10 that he's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. If he was a hireling, he would run when trouble came. But he laid down his life for you and me. And if he laid down his life for us, how much more is he going to be there for us in our time of need? That's our greatest need. The Lord is our shepherd. And what should be our response in light of everything, putting it all together, in light of the fact that material things are temporary, in light of the fact we don't have to worry about meeting our own needs because God will, our response should be this. Sell your possessions, give to charity. And notice he didn't say sell all your possessions. He said sell your possessions. You know, give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near or moth destroys. He's saying, you know what? In light of the fact that that material things are a temporary possession in light of the fact that they are a tool that God gives us to reach people with God's love as we meet their physical needs it opens the door for us to share with them their greatest need is not physical but spiritual it's been wonderful to talk to people and say look if God heals you of cancer you're still going to die sometime of something your greatest need in this point in your life is not to be healed of cancer or this disease or that disease. Your greatest need is to be healed of sin and be forgiven by God. That's your greatest need. Your greatest need isn't a new job. It's not a raise. It's not a new relationship. It's not children. None of that's your greatest need. He says in light of your greatest need... Use the temporary material possessions that God has given you to meet the greatest need of others so that you will have an entree into their life to tell them about Jesus. That's how we reach the world with the Word of God. 
That's why we're committed to do it. It's faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. No one will ever come to faith in Christ without being confronted with their sin and their need for a Savior. And we have the responsibility who have trusted in Christ and have that knowledge of the mystery of God to share that with others. He said, with all this in, line, all this in mind, you know what? Start to be generous. Don't be hoarding up for yourself. You'll never have enough if you're hoarding up for you. Just like the, the foolish farmer. You fool, today your soul is required of you. Now give an answer to how you use the material things God entrusted to you to win others for Christ. How did you do that? And it's a balance, isn't it? There's a balance there. What's interesting is that somebody sent me a cartoon based on last week's message, and here's what it said. There's a man with a child in a restaurant, and the man is paying the bill, and the child is watching everything. Like I said this morning, more things are caught than taught. And he's watching his dad fill out the, you know, the, the, the credit card receipt and, and, and the tip. And he said, well, what's that? And he said, well, that's 15% for the waitress. And a kid thought about it, scratched his head for a second and said, Dad, why does the waitress get 15% and God only gets 10? <laughs> or 8? Or 6? Or 5? Do I hear 2? Should I stop? I feel like Abraham negotiating before God. If there are 50 righteous, 30, 25. But the point is very simple. Should we not be rich towards God? Should we not be generous towards him? Because everything we have comes from him. And if he wants to take it back, he'll just take it back. He's just testing us to see whether or not our treasure is in the Lord or in material things. See, that's why Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart really is as well. It cuts through all the rhetoric. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. is your, are you rich towards God? Is your treasure really in meeting the needs of others so that you can win them to Christ? Or is it all about you? This is so hard to listen to. It's hard for me to study. It's hard for me to apply. But it's truth. And God's truth sets us free from the bondage of sin. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly and some of us don't have it because we're greedy and number, number two or we're worried. In closing, a great story about a guy who, he worried about everything. I mean, I don't know if you can relate or not, but this guy worried about everything. Worried about his marriage, worried about his children, worried about when they went out for a drive and worried when he heard the fire engines or the ambulance, you know, and their child was out taking a drive somewhere and everybody's been there that's ever had children that have grown and, 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 and driven for the first time or second time or even now. You know, or, you know, the, the curfew's at, you know, a certain time and it's five minutes after that and, you know, here they are late and, you know, just, you know, worried about that, worried about, you know, your job and I had chapel with the angels last night and there are guys in there that could be worrying about when they're going to be healthy enough to play and the funny thing is the other guys in the same room are worrying about when they're going to be healthy to play because when they're healthy to play, what's going to happen to us? Salt Lake, here we come, you know. It's like Salt Lake Express. You know, you got all these guys in the same room. They're all worried about different things, you know. And it's like, and, and so this guy worried about everything. And it was destroying his family. It was destroying his marriage. It was destroying his relationship with his children, with his friends, in a business with his fellow employees. And it was he's a mess. And his wife said, you know, I've had enough of this. You need to get help. This is killing you. And so, you know, he's thinking about it, and he saw an ad in a newspaper, and it said, you know, basically it was a place, a clinic. He, it, it, are you a warrior? Boom. And he goes, oh, that must be for me. He goes, come, come and, and talk to us. 
and we'll worry for you. <laughs> right, no, seriously. And so a guy goes to the clinic and he sits down with the counselor and he says, okay, what are you worried about? And he goes, he goes write it all down. This guy started writing, man. He's writing and writing and writing and writing, writing. Two or three pages later, full pages. The guy that's in the clinic goes, okay, give me that. So the guy takes it and says, listen, from now on, you don't have to worry about any of this. We'll worry for you. And the guy left there. His burden was just relieved, man. This was great. About a month goes by. Everybody in his life, his wife, his children, his coworkers, everybody's going, it's like, wow, you're a new man. Look at you. You look great. Your attitude, everything. You got a bounce in your step. And what happened? He goes, well, it's hard to believe, but I found this place, this clinic, where if you go, they'll worry for you. He said, so I haven't worried about anything in the last 30 days. And I said, really? They worry for you? And his coworker said, well, how much does something like that cost? He goes, it costs a thousand bucks a day. A thousand bucks a day. They were like, a thousand bucks a day. You know, they're all ready to go. And I was like, hey, whoa, a thousand bucks a day, 30 days, that's $30,000. I said, how are you going to pay for that? He goes, I don't know. I let them worry about it. You know what? Hey, Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me and let me worry about it for you. You know what? And God doesn't have a worry in the world. And the reason's simple, because God is in control of all things. It's all good. No worries, Chuck. God's got it all in control, eh? Eh? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who cares for us. You've labeled every hair on our head, you know, every day that's ordained for us to live before we lived one. And you have chosen to give us your kingdom. Past tense, done in a moment in time. God, we thank you that we have been born again to the newness of life. That we're not like an unbelieving world that has no God to turn to other than themselves. And it's no wonder they worry, and they should. But God, we can turn to you, the good shepherd who laid down his life on our behalf. Jesus said that all the Father has given unto him, he will never lose even one. And God, that means that those of us who have repented of sin and responded by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ and received him as our Savior means that we are in His hands for all of eternity. God, may we confess the sin of worry and repent from it. May we turn to You and cast our cares upon You because we know that You will care for us. God, within our hearts is darkness and sin that easily entangles us. And God, it's our prayer today, even now, that You will create in us A clean heart, O God, a heart that is pure and open and transparent, where there is no hypocrisy or greed or worry, so that you can use our lives mightily to glorify you and help a world who does not know you to see that you are in control of all things in life and in death. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.